Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, uh, with you once again. And uh, I'm here today with Bishop Todd Hunter. How are you today, Todd? Yeah, you know, I just thought the the C4SO podcast, otherwise Uh known as the highlight of Todd's week. Yeah, you say that every week. I get to see and chat to Ben Sternke. (laughs) Well, uh, the feeling is mutual, Todd. I I enjoy chatting with you uh, as well. Um, before we get into our episode today, uh, we have a brief announcement. Um, we have licensed a series of 14 paintings from Laura James, uh, who's the artist that we celebrated during uh, Black History Month last month. Um, and these 14 paintings will host a virtual Stations of the Cross on the C4SO website during Holy Week. That's actually up now. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, for you to peruse. And then um, the Reverend Dr. W. David O. Taylor, otherwise known as David Taylor, uh, who's our scholar in residence for arts, media, and culture, uh, has provided a liturgy that he's curated from uh, a few sources. And so uh, we'd welcome any church or individual to walk through the virtual stations as part of their Holy Week celebrations on our website. Um, And if you would like to use the paintings in a print capacity for your church, perhaps, um, please contact us at communications at c4so.org for licensing options. We want to make sure that uh, Laura gets uh, compensated for her work there. And actually, next week, uh, we're going to interview Laura and David. Uh, about Did you say and David, Laura and David? Yeah, yeah. Good. So both of them, David, the writer of the liturgy, Laura, yeah. the painter of the paintings, they're going to be with us next week uh, to talk about Stations of the Cross generally, some of their history with it, and then uh, obviously the our, the particular one that we're hosting on the website. Someday when I grow up, I want to I want to sound like W.O. David Taylor, you know, Reverend Doctor, whatever. Yeah. He sounds yeah, legit. Like when you yeah, say it, totally. that sounds so many, legit. So many names in there, some of them mysterious. What's the yeah, exactly. W stand for? What's exactly. the O stand for? You're going to have to ask him that next week. I, I was. I was planning on, that's, uh, stay tuned, because I, I, I am planning to say, that's quite, a, that's quite a name, and why do you go by David instead yeah. of the, the W or the O? Yeah. So anyway, stay tuned for that. Uh, today, though, we're going to finish up uh, this series that we've been doing for Lent um, that follows uh, C4SO Reads, the book that we have for Lent, which is Prophetic Lament by Soong Chan Ra. Um, and our guest today is uh, our very own Bishop Todd, um, who has, uh, is going to be sharing some reflections from the fifth and final part of this book, Lamentations 5. So, uh, Todd, I thought we would just talk about some of the things uh, that stood out to you yeah. um, from this section. Where do you want to start? Well, actually, um, I think I want to start with underscoring a point I think I made in the video that... Mm-hmm. Lament has not come easy to me. I think partially, I mean, if I think back of my 45 or whatever years of walking with Christ, 46, yeah. whatever it is, um, I'm so optimistic. Um, hmm. Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm very optimistic and I'm very, like always trying to find creative solutions. Like I don't naturally go to lament. Yeah. But um, COVID, so a year ago, 13 months ago, Uh 
for whatever reason, you know, at this point in my life, it kind of really hit me in the face. Hmm. And so I, I, I started praying through the Psalms. Yeah. Like I instinctually knew, or maybe from reading, um, well, David's book on the Psalms or reading mm-hmm. um, Peterson. Yeah. I knew that the Psalms would lead me to a full orbed prayer life and away from, you know, what Raw calls triumphalism or over celebration, mm-hmm. yeah. which of course is the evangelical world that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, and so reading the Psalms have have really led me to lament. Um, hmm. And I stopped for Lent and picked up a different practice, but I'll probably go, I'll probably go back until we're really, mm-hmm. um, really out of this. So I guess maybe one of the biggest things I learned from um, raw um, that has both personal and probably community or, you know, uh, church wide uh, implications is that lament can't be cut off too soon. Hmm. Um, and again, I think for lots of us, um, we just have this sense that, you know, Christianity in general, and especially worship is meant to be celebratory. And of course, there there's a, a part of that that's true. So I think uh, there's a really important both end here that he yeah. says, lament must not be cut off too soon, but it also needs a response. Hmm. And as I thought that through, and I can't remember if, if Raw says this straight out or if it's me just reading Raw, that when you think about it, well, yes, we are the covenant people of God. And covenant would imply us being faithful to our responsibilities to the covenant. Mm-hmm. And so at a minimum, that's, I think, the response. It's just the response of a, of a covenanted people. And... And so you might think it involves like protesting the status quo, or you might think of it as agape, as um, loving our neighbor, loving our enemies. We might think of it as mission or justice. And so <clears throat> I picked up from Raw, maybe it's a challenge that I, I just know that I need a simultaneity of holding to and valuing lament, but also always seeing the potential that he talks about for renewal or restoration. Yeah. Yeah. And how you walk that through in your own soul, how you lead a church through it is probably a bit complex, but I think he's at least pointing to the right yeah. both end. Yeah. It's interesting as I've read through as I've read through this book, um I I've gotten the sense that, you know, in the in the ancient Hebrew imagination, we would have ne- they would have never thought to bifurcate those two things. Yeah. Like the response and the renewal and the lament, like yeah. those were it, it would have felt as a matter of course, well, of course you lament unto renewal. Yeah. How else are you going to get to renewal? You know, yeah. that, that was always almost this assumption and we've bifurcated them. And so it's, it's necessary for us to kind of hold these things together that feel contradictory. Yes. When in fact, the only way you actually get to true renewal is through lament and, um, and vice versa, you know, true lament is actually what leads to renewal. Yeah. That I think in our bifurcation of them, we think of lament as, you know, someone who's given up hope and is despairing, you know, just yeah. wallowing in, in their despair. And we think of hope as just unadulterated celebration where we ignore yeah. what's wrong and, and just, you know, try to get past it as quickly as possible. And I think the the good work that this book and the practices associated with it seem to be doing is bringing those things back together and saying, this was, this has always been one whole thing, Yeah, you know, and we, we've, we've truncated and bastardized both 
both things, you know, both yeah. the hope and the lament by, by bifurcating, by separating them. Yeah. Again, I'm always challenged by, thanks for saying that, Ben. I'm always challenged by that Hebrew holism. It just does not come natural to me. Yeah. You know, what comes natural to the more Western Greek Roman mind is yeah. either, like you say, bifurcating or at least sequencing. Like, okay, I'll lament for a okay. while. Yeah. yeah. And again, like you said, this isn't a bad thing because... There is a process, but I think yeah. it, it, we bifurcate them so that we can sequence them. Like I do A so that I can get to B. Yeah. And even in that, it's maybe better, but it still breaks up the one yeah. whole life, one yeah. one coherent relationship with God and each other that yeah. has a simultaneity, simultaneity in those things. Yes. And it puts us back in charge. You yes. know, we, we think Great we can point. engineer it yeah. and we think we can, you know, we think we can sort of Okay, let's lament for three weeks. Is, yeah. that, is that long enough? You know, <laughs> how long is this virus going to last? You know, yeah. we're probably going to have to cancel worship for a couple of weeks. I yeah. remember that was my initial thought. Hey, we're yeah. going to have to cancel worship for a couple of weeks, even. You know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, um, I, I'd love to go back. Uh, this question has been uh, kind of hanging out in my mind ever since you talked about reading the Psalms. I'd love to go back to that to that question uh, to that statement that you made about reading the Psalms as an act of um, kind of pulling yourself into lament or allowing yourself to be pulled into uh, lament. So I'm presuming that, you know, you knew the Psalms were there before, <laughs> before this past year yeah. and that you'd read many of them. You know, you've probably read the Bible several times, I would assume, um, like a good bishop. But um, what was different for you in when you say like reading the Psalms uh, as opposed to, you know, as an act of lament, yeah. um, as opposed to maybe how you used to read them or, you know, before, like what, what, what changed about how you read them that made it an explicit and helpful act of lament for you? Yeah. I think in the past when I read the Psalms, um, I don't think I utterly missed lament, but I would have thought them more in the terms of, um, in the Psalms, you see like the full range of human emotion, right? Right. But I would not have been thinking of that in what Raw and others properly label as lament. I might have said something like bummed or, <laughs> you know, having yeah, a bad day, yeah, yeah, but not yeah. lament proper. Yeah. Um, or I would have read the Psalms mm. as more worshipful because of the tendency again. Um, mm. And I'm never bashing anybody, much less evangelicalism, whatever that means. It's so complex, I couldn't bash it if I tried. But I think he is right that there has been a tendency in the sort of mainstream evangelical world that like worship always means sort of constant victory, prosperity, complete mm -hmm. well-being, you know, the kind of things that he names. Um, just the sort of the narrative we have of triumphalism. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I think I needed. I needed something more robust that would challenge that. And the concept of lament yeah. is bigger than just, well, David was having a bad day or a rough patch in his life. Yeah. Um, that there's, you know, it's almost like it's sort of a technical term for something that's really large. Um, yeah. I just happened to have seen yesterday, I think it's a fairly recent, like maybe just in the last week or two, um, article that Tim Keller wrote in The Atlantic talking mm -hmm. about how like virtually everything he's ever thought he believed and known about God has been challenged by his pancreatic cancer mm. and facing mortality. And so similar to what you said, it's not that Tim didn't understand things like suffering or mortality or hadn't, 
you know, written about it and preached about it and sat at deathbeds mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. But when something happened to him, it it like forced a deeper understanding. And I think that's what happened to me, that when mm. COVID happened, yeah. I knew I needed a prayer life uh, that was richer than my capacity mm. uh, for human, the kind of, and of mm. course we had no idea, like you said, the amount of human suffering we look back. I, I think yeah. we still haven't even taken it all in. Um, yeah, I will take be years. How many yeah. dissertations will be written on this? The, mm-hmm. the level of human pain all over the world is just almost indescribable. Yeah. And I knew that my present optimistic, you know, I'll fix it um, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of spirituality needed uh, some growth. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you saying that, you know, before maybe you had a cognitive acknowledgement that lament exists, Mm -hmm. that people get sad and psalms are helpful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But there was an emotional embodied connection now in your own life that allowed you to see, oh, this is what these words are for. Yeah. And now this is, I'm connecting with these words, not just sort of seeing that they might be helpful. Yeah. to me some one day. It's like, right. no, they're helpful for me today. I actually need to pray this today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I had a, a similar experience, you know, in terms of the Psalms, um, both in terms of the pandemic and the suffering there, but then also, you know, in terms of the racial unrest yes. and some yeah. of the, some of the things that came to light with George, George Floyd's death and all of right. these kinds of things. And so there's a lot, there's a lot in there about the suffering that, you know, the rulers, right, of the earth yeah. uh, inflict on people. And I, I really connected with that as well, with, you know, even some of the imprecatory psalms and realizing, okay, mm-hmm. this, this anger comes from, yeah. you know, from a, a more embodied emotional place for me yes. as, I, as I give myself over to seeing the sufferings uh, of others. And well, well, as you helped to start today with a more Hebrew mindset, again, this is, this, I'm caricaturing a bit, just for sure. the sake of discussion, that um, there is a form of Christianity that's sort of about doctrines or doctrinaire, let's put it. And again, yeah. I don't mean a big slam by that. But there's another form of Christian spirituality that doesn't exclude that, mm. but that is also deeply relational. Yes. And so yes. lament is relational. It's you and God doing business. Yes. It's not even necessarily a proper theodicy. Right. Um, I mean, it'd be nice to have one, right? But even if you're not walking around with a airtight theodicy in your head uh, that explains every little bit of suffering, lament. I love Raw just insisting that, and I can hear Peterson insisting on this that lament makes life personal with God. It's not just like a, you know, why do people suffer or to. how does yeah. epidemiology work? Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's actually keeping it personal both to God <clears throat> and to others. Um, yes, yes. It keeps us, like I think one of the things I've learned is that proper lament is fundamental to me in keeping me connected to the marginalized of whatever kind. Yes. Either I can't get vaccines or I can't get good health care or the race issues you talked about or yes. any any number of things. Um and I think another big aha moment for me over the, these weeks of Lent, Ben, has been um, that lament keeps always in front of me the need to hear other stories. Hmm. Or how can I even lament? I could lament things in my own life. But like you said, right. if you're talking about COVID, if you're talking about racism, if you're talking about economic woes or economic injustice or whatever, 
Like that's all theoretical until you really take the time to hear people's stories. Yes. And maybe it's just because I'm so relational. Um, I'm way more relational than I'm intellectual. So for me, hearing somebody else's stories produces that sort of functional lament yes. Yes. of being with being in this triangle of my heart, their story, God's overarching story. Yes. And without that triangle, I, I don't think I lament well. Yeah. Hey everyone, uh, welcome again to C4SO's Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week, the first of two ministries that we're highlighting on this uh, podcast is Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, in Silicon Valley, in Mountain View, um, led by the Reverend John Gorin. And uh, he's joined us here on the podcast to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray specifically for them. John, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thanks, Ben. It's a real privilege to be able to be spending a little time with you and letting folks know kind of what God's doing out here. Yes. Well, tell us a little bit about that. Um, You planted the church, uh, you were telling me, about 18 months ago. You're one of these uh, COVID church plants, as we maybe will eventually call them. Um, and so, uh, as you, uh, obviously you had, you were, t- we were just, you were telling me before we hit record that, um, you had about three months of worship services and then COVID hit. And so, yeah, that, that's yeah. right. And so we'd had, uh, we'd been able to rent space in a lovely sacred church in terms of their aesthetic. And it was mm-hmm. wonderful to be able to gather there and to have meals afterwards. And then, as you said, COVID mm-hmm. hit. And so Can we've been, uh, yeah, kind of beating alternatively in a park, weather permitting and restrictions okay. permitting, and then mostly on Zoom. So not optimal, okay. but um, yeah. thankful for just that opportunity and what God's been able to do in and through yes. that. Yes. Well, uh, what's one thing that you're encouraged by right now, uh, then, in the midst yeah, of the so church? Yeah, so sort of continuing on that, I, we are greatly encouraged by the way that God has built us uh, as a community. We've been able to go uh, deeper than perhaps I would have anticipated because, of course, Zoom is not optimal. We've actually mm-hmm. even added some members, which was uh, yeah, unforeseen, but we're, we're glad yeah. for that. We, we've had to yeah. say goodbye to a few people that have had to move out of the area, but just to see people coming in and being able to participate and find uh, their sense of mission and call mm. here for this season at Holy Trinity has been very gratifying. And That's I would great. just say that uh, also, uh, on Zoom, we've been able to meet weekly as opposed to, say, every other week. Uh, you know, when you're doing yeah. a setup and a teardown, you, you have to limit the yeah. amount of times you can do that. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's been a pleasant uh, blessing as well. That's great. What's a challenge that you're facing right now? So the biggest challenge is really the uncertainty around when we can regather for regular indoor, in-person worship. You know, our county still has a fair amount of restrictions Our host church uh, isn't clear when they're going to go back. So we're looking at probably summer, maybe even late summer. Uh, You know, not everybody's comfortable (laughs) with going back. So the same kind of issues, I think, that many other churches have. So, um, but yeah, so that's, that's, I think, probably most on our mind and heart and prayer. Okay. Um, And then in light of all of this, how can we pray for you and for uh, Holy Trinity Silicon Valley right now. Yeah, thanks. A couple of things stand out for us. First, that the Lord would continue to bring people with a heart for mission and service to join, <clears throat> excuse me, 
this Anglican community here in Silicon Valley. It's not an easy place to minister to. It's certainly not an inexpensive place to be in. So there's some unique challenges here, but we are actively praying for people to come and, and join us, whether they're local or whether they just want to, whether God's leading them to come across the country. And second yeah. prayer is just uh, as we head sort of past Holy Week, we're in discernment about the next season of catechesis for our community. You know, what's the wise next step in the spiritual formation of Holy Trinity? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many topics and things that that seem to be important. So which is the, the mm-hmm. wisest next step, I think, is what we're praying for. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question to be asking. Um, the, the discipleship catechesis question. Yeah. It's really good. Well, thanks for joining us, John. Um, listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley or even contribute to their work, uh, do check out the link in the show notes. Welcome to our second of two C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlights for this episode, where we highlight specific ministries that we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. We're asking to pray, you to pray for the Trinity Mission and Trinity on the Border in La Feria, Texas, led by the Reverend Michael Jarrett. Trinity Mission is an online abbey that offers audio daily office and prayer podcasts and other free devotional resources that helps people around the world to form habits of daily prayer. And then Trinity on the Border, um, along with uh, other ecumenical partners, provides healthcare, resettlement assistance, pastoral care, discipleship, Eucharistic worship, for asylum seekers, refugees, deaf persons, and impoverished communities along the South Texas-Mexico border. And even though uh, Michael wasn't able to join us today to talk a little bit about uh, the ministry, they have passed along a few uh, praises and prayer requests. Um, They are giving thanks to the Lord for their volunteers who give abundantly of their time and talent. And they're asking for prayer for the Reverend Daniel and Rebecca Behrens, who have completed Daniel's missionary curacy and are now at language school. They're asking that we would pray also for the Reverend Deacon Elijah Lukem, who's joined the staff at Trinity on the Border as their new missionary curate. They're also asking for prayer for their clinic, for their work at the immigrant shelters, for their work in Mexico, for their K-4 through grade school, and their little worship community. They have a lot going on. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about Trinity on the Border and Trinity Mission or to contribute to their work, just check out the link in the show notes. I think that's a, that triangle is an interesting image. You know, I think, you know, all kinds of stuff is born in there, you know, intercessory prayer that we're invited into, um, you know, lament um, uh, with you know, with the marginalized. Right. Um, and that, that gets me to a question I wanted to ask about. One of the other things you mentioned in your reflection video um, was that um, uh, Rot in one of the chapters here, talks about a speaker that he heard uh, talking about giving a, don't give a handout, give a hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wanted to challenge both of those ideas and say it's not about a hand up or a hand out, um, but a hand across. Yeah. Um, to to appear that that creates companionship, witness, partnership with those we're lamenting yeah. with. So a, a solidarity with, yeah. rather than uh, 
uh, the like to, to give a hand up assumes that I'm higher than you, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, to give a hand out assumes that I just have more than you, and you just need you need yeah. just need some stuff. But but there's this you talked about relationality, mm-hmm. you talked about companionship, that kind of thing. And I wonder if you could tease that out a little bit. Like, what's the difference between lament that creates distance between us and others, and then lament that stands in solidarity with yeah. others? Like, what artifacts do we look for to know? that our lament is producing the fruit of communion and joining rather than the fruit of distancing and othering. Yeah. I think the number one thing for me is, um, as I've already said, I'm optimistic. Um, I'm a fixer because, I mean, this is, uh, you know, at my worst, I've worked on it for decades, so hopefully I'm somewhat better. But mm-hmm. I'm naturally sort of an optimistic perfectionist. So think about those things, those two things being put together. And so it makes me a fixer. Like I'm just yeah, automatic yeah. fixer. Pick it up, clean yeah. it up, straighten it up. You know, that's that's just mm-hmm. wired deeply in me. And the problem with that, Ben, is that when it comes to human beings, it turns them into a problem to be fixed. Yeah. And that just never feels good. I don't yeah. like it when people do that to me. Um, I'm sure people don't like it when I do it to them. Mm-hmm. And that was the big, like, check in a good sense, like stop me in my tracks. Mm. That if I don't do the hand across, um, I'm, I'm being, in me personally, I'm being a fixer. And that mm. is to one degree or another dehumanizing. Yes. I mean, that maybe is a bold way of putting it, but, but I, I think it's right. It, it, it's not like fully dehumanizing, but it's, it, it's certainly, works at the edges of dehumanization that if, yeah, if, we're, if yeah. we're not really just reaching across. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's so, so much to, so much to say there, you know, in terms of our, uh, this is, you know, how we're, and I remember reading, uh, what's the, the when helping hurts yeah. kind of a lot of people have read yeah. that, but just like having my eyes open to, man, all the instincts that I have mm-hmm. for mission and for service and for all these good things that yeah. I imagine you know, myself to be doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they all have these like colonial and sort of dehumanizing, like all these little threads in there that need to be yeah. parsed and pulled out and, and you have to untangle it um, if we're really going to, yeah, lament and um, stand in solidarity with rather than just feel sorry for and try to fix yeah. Yeah. Um, problems for other people. Yes, that's, I'm glad you said that because I would add to my little list of dysfunctions there is that I'm highly empathetic which is often great, mm-hmm. you know, in my day in and day out life. But I can ob- I can also be overly empathetic mm. in a way that, like you said, creates a um, a kind of power uh, differential or something that then makes your engagement with others um, not mm. not as functional as they might be. Mm. So there's like appropriate you- empathy that turns to compassion, okay. and then acts of compassion are usually okay. But if mm-hmm. it's just sort of an empathy connected to wanting to fix someone, it doesn't have the same kingdom vibe, I don't think. Yeah. Okay. So that's what an empathy that wants to fix is how you define that over empathy. I was going to yeah, um, try to ha- yeah, have you or, tease that out a little um, bit. I think that's empathy, interesting. An over empathy, it sometimes fails to see agency in others. You know, oh, like I, yeah. I, I need like to a, fix this because yeah. I feel it, and I when I look at you, I'm not sure you can fix it. So you know, yeah. so it it can inadvertently remove agency from others. 
Yeah. Which if you talk to women or people of color or, you know, whatever, you you know, you're going to hear that they feel that a lot inadvertently that efforts to quote help efforts to help quote them sometimes has an effect, as you said, that we don't mean to, but it feels like we're removing their agency and we're the only ones with agency Mm. to fix something. I see. Yes. Yeah. So what we think of as empathy is almost just a projection of our own, uh, insecurities into into somebody else's life and we don't leave enough space um for others to be part of the creative you know yeah. solution or or part of the you know we don't leave enough uncertainty to say like well where do we go from here yeah, uh, yeah i think for most of us empathy as a feeling uh does not stand alone it often gets attached mm-hmm. to anxiety or fear or has with it wrapped around it like a molecule or something because yeah. certainly we don't want to dismiss empathy. It's fundamentally a good thing. But it's just so often, again, if you're a perfectionist fixer like me, empathy yeah. can be like a molecule that has anxiety or fear, you yeah. know, or something, yeah. The, yeah. the desire for the world to be right attached yeah. to it. And that's what makes empathy um, can go wonky and be something different than literal compassion. Okay. Where you're passionately yeah. alongside someone, you know, is yeah. the, sort of the technical way to think yeah. about compassion. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that, fascinated by it right now. There's some conversations I've, I've seen lately that, that have to do with empathy and like, you know, there's some people that think of it as an unqualified good yeah. and then other people who are suspicious of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I've been trying to parse what are people meaning by, by these things and, in some of what I heard you just describe, it's almost maybe another uh, realm of um, theory or knowledge to bring into this would be uh, Friedman's. Yeah, uh, it would be Friedman's being connected yeah. without different, without yes. enough differentiation yeah. to actually lead or mm-hmm. you know or, yeah. or do something helpful in a situation. Yeah, yeah, and to and to be fully differentiated while holding the other person um, as in the image of God and therefore with full agency. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That's good. Um, you mentioned this. What, what else? What else stood out to you? I guess I'll just offer that to you. Well, we were talking uh, earlier we, about yeah. you know, is there a sequence in celebration mm-hmm. and lament, or is there a, a more of a Hebrew holism or whatever? And I, I started thinking about how you know that can be difficult both for individuals and for churches, and so. I've been thinking the last few days, knowing we we're going to do this, uh, like thinking, well, raw can't mean triumph is never a right feeling because what about the resurrection? Or, you know, celebration right. can't right. now be sort of ruled out and laments the only thing that can be ruled in. And I started thinking of our church calendar mm. and with Holy Week coming up. And, mm-hmm. you know, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter, how we are led through the fullness of the deepest lament, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for instance, in Holy Saturday and, yes. the, and the, tr- the greatest triumph the world will ever know in the resurrection of Jesus. And then I thought, I know most of us listening to this are Anglicans. I'm sorry if you're not. Um, but I thought, Ben, that our liturgy does the same thing. Mm-hmm. It leads us through sort of lament of confession or in prayers yeah. of the people, or yeah. uh, if you're doing the great litany or something, there's lots of prayers of lament in the great litany. 
But then we also come to Eucharist and we hear the story yeah. of the gospel. And so mm. that was a kind of a nice thought to me that in the church calendar that not just Anglicans use, but everybody in the great tradition and our liturgies, I think, give us a rhythm of lament mm -hmm. with triumph and celebration. And I think if we were to pay attention to that, it could be a nice soul shaping set of yes. practices that helps us yeah. really take on like it, like somebody else might be listening to me going, well, Hunter, I'm the opposite of you. Like I tend to be depressive and cynical mm -hmm. and I don't think anything can be fixed. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. In our church calendar and in our liturgies, both of us are challenged, whether you're an yes. optimistic, you know, mm -hmm. get her done fixer, or if you tend to be a depressive pessimist, um, mm -hmm. it just, yeah, it just hit me that, okay, you know, how can we put this together in our life? And I like that notion of the calendar and our liturgy giving yeah. us practices that hold this together. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the the objective sort of uh, walking through that, you know, Lent starts on Ash Wednesday, you know, and so ready or not, time to lament. <laughs> and Easter comes, you know, uh, ready or not, time to celebrate. Um, and so I, I like pairing that sort of objective, now it's time for us to do this, with also you know, we have these resources in the Psalms. And so, mm -hmm. you know, even if during the Easter season, something happens to, something happens that we need to lament, well, we, we're free to do that as well. We're free to respond. We're free to live in time, you know, Christian time through the calendar. And we're also free to respond to things that are happening that, that bring us, you know, great sadness or that we need to be lamented. Um, but also free to celebrate yeah. things that need to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. um, I'm reading through... Um, Alexander Schmemann's For the Life of the World, yeah. uh, again, mm -hmm. kind of slowly during uh, morning prayers for me. And um, that's, that's the note. He, he strikes the note of joy yes. over and over yeah. and over again. He just says, like, the, like Christian uh, liturgy, Christian faith is about joy. Yeah. And um, I, I like that pairing mm -hmm. and, uh, of those two things together. And, and, you know, coming back to, I think, where we started here, which was that maybe the only way to know that joy is to really enter into the lament, yeah. you know, for our sins and really understand, you know, the depths of those things. Um, and to truly enter into the lament is to inevitably come out the other side yeah. with joy, you know, because of the resurrection. Yeah. I think properly understood joy is a, a, a little three letter word, but actually big and broad and comprehensive in what mm. those three letters depict. And so mm. the joy, or if you think of the joy of the Lord, that is meant to catch up our whole life. So moments of lament, moments of real triumph, like, you yeah. know, I got my degree, you know? Well, yeah, that's a yeah. great triumph. Um, yeah. So so that joy is not a small little thing that pops up in moments of life. It's meant to be an overarching reality that catches up all the variations mm. of the whole mm -hmm. spectrum from what we might think of as lament to joy. Um, yes, yeah, I think it's absolutely fu fundamental to Christian spirituality. As long yeah. as it's not cheesy. You know, if it's a feigned <laughs> right. joy because, you know, well, the joy of the Lord is my strength. and right. But if it's a genuine, like, rootedness in the goodness and greatness of God. Yeah. And so you have mm -hmm. an underlying joy, but I just got in a car accident and my insurance is going to go up and I could barely afford it anyway. Okay, so in that moment, you're maybe not, you're maybe mm -hmm. feeling anxiety, yeah. but that anxiety is like a, a drop of chocolate 
in milk or something. I don't know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or a drop of lemonade and iced tea or something. It's real, but like the iced tea of our life is mostly composed of an overarching joy. But it it doesn't mean that within a life of overarching joy, there aren't moments of pain, sadness, despair, lament, whatever. Yeah, and I I think the main... The main thing I see Ra pushing back against then is like that that unwillingness that's, you know, it is rampant in, you know, Western, especially evangelical and charismatic Christianity. Like, you know, a lot of our inheritance is this, is this um, unwillingness to even acknowledge that something is sad, the unwillingness to sort of enter into lament for ourselves or for, on behalf of others. Um, and so I think the the corrective is against this, not against joy, mm-hmm. but against kind of a performative happiness yeah. that uh, that has infected a lot of church cultures. Mm-hmm. That where I, I have to just say that, you know, I have to say everything's awesome, or yeah. you know, maybe I'm not even a Christian. Yeah. When I think he's giving us a lot of freedom to say no, like the people of God have always said, this is terrible. God, are you ever going to come back? And you know, is have you forgotten yeah. your promises? You know, they even get a little sassy with God yeah. uh, in the midst of their lament. Like, and that's our inheritance as well as like, we can, we can bring whatever anger or sadness that's happening in us, bring it to God because we trust him. Yeah. We, we trust him to bring salvation. Yeah. Um, and we trust him to be able to handle this stuff that we want to bring. Yeah. And this is a conversation for another day. And maybe it came out in some of the other talks from raw. Um, and I think raw dra- dra- um, draws this parallel. If he doesn't, forgive me. So it's me drawing it. But I'm, when I heard you, Ben, what you just described is part of what keeps aspects of the church from engaging well in justice. Mm. Because yes. who wants to feel the pain of that? And who wants to take yeah. it on? And mm-hmm. can't you just shut up about this? You know, can't you just get over mm-hmm. this? You know, who wants to yeah. keep banging on about this or that or the other thing? Um, and it, if we can't, Again, as I said earlier, hear another story and properly lament over it. We can't engage well in any arena of justice, in my view. And so, um, again, this whole conversation for another day. But if, yeah, if your whole sense of Christian spirituality is kind of an unrelenting happiness. Yeah. Well, you'll never let justice, you'll never let injustice touch that. Because as soon as injustice touches that, you're going to feel the pain. Yeah. And now now you're been driven out of this sort of, like you said, surfacely happiness. Yeah. So I know that's a big conundrum and easier said than done. Um, you know, yeah. how do, we're sort of back to Friedman. Like, how do I fully <laughs> differentiate as a person of joy, but stay connected to the world's pain? Yes. And yeah. I think most of us um, have a hard time at making that holistic and we, we break the tension and fall off one way or the other. Yeah. Typically, to yeah. your point, towards... Uh, yes. you know, kind of a Christian happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And Ra talks, I think, about those those two uh, breaking off points. Instead of holding the tension, you know, the triumphalism yeah. of everything's fine, you know, God's with us, you know, we're, we can fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, you know, he has various names for it, but, you know, I'm thinking about it right now as the, the sort of the... Uh, the despair of like, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Hope Jesus comes back soon. Yeah. Not much we can do. Right. You know, we just sort of kind of roll over and wait for Jesus to come back. Yeah. Um, but holding those things together in tension seems to be uh, a fruitful and difficult task for the church of our day. Yeah, man. So, yeah. Well, thanks for this right. series. 
Thanks for hosting it. Yeah. I enjoyed listening to um, all the guests and yeah, it's been, it's yeah. been good. Yep. Thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts with us today. Yes. Uh, Bishop Todd. Um, for, uh, listeners, uh, you can look for uh, the reading schedule in the show notes. We're, we're done now, but there is a, um, let's see, this episode is going to come out on uh, the 22nd of March. And then the 24th, I'll put a link to this, but the, the 24th, um, all five of our uh, folks who've reflected on the different sections uh, of the book will be um, on a Zoom call together. And so they'll, uh, that's a, that'll be Wednesday night, um, March 24th. I don't have the time off the top of my head, but um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And next week, we've got our Holy Week discussion um, about the online Stations of the Cross installation. Uh, we'll have David Taylor with us and Laura James and um, have a discussion about that. And then it'll be Easter. Time to celebrate. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Those are the days I miss uh, being a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. East, we're, Easter we're, Sunday's so great. Yeah. We're, we, we've, I'm hopeful we're the positivity rate, um, in our area has gotten down to the point where we're having in-person oh, worship again. And so, great. um, I'm looking forward to, I remember Easter last year feeling really bummed yeah. out that we couldn't be together. We were on zoom. Um, but I'm looking forward to Easter this year. Yeah, good. All right. All right. Well, thanks, see Ben. You soon, Bishop. Good to see you. Yep. Yep. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.